The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Phone lines are open. You've got questions. We've got answers. Let's do it. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Here's the number to call, 866-348-7884, 866-34-TRUTH. You've got questions, we've got answers any question, any subject that relates in any way to any expertise I have or anything that's ever discussed on the air, or you see me commenting on and writing, by all means, give us a call. Don't forget to go to notashamedofjesus.org. Share that on social media. Let's spread the word April 14th, National Not Ashamed of Jesus Day. So be sure to go there, notashamedofjesus.org. Spread the word. And with that, we go to the phones. Let's start with Alan in Charleston, West Virginia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown, and thanks for having me. Sure thing. Hey, uh, I got a question uh, concerning your program with uh, drinking the other day, and I'm very, very well of what the Bible says about drinking, that there's not a total abstinence, but to drink in moderation. And um, I heard a couple of the callers that called in, I think one said that he was praying and God told him that he could drink and under three circumstances or something like that, which I don't know about you, but I found that very odd. But anyway, you had another one that said that we at the church or the brother, he said, we got some brothers that get together that can drink in moderation and we don't, we don't ask anybody that can't. And we kind of sit around and have a barbecue and have a hot dog and a, and a couple buds and talk about Jesus. He didn't say that, but I threw that in. I, I found that kind of odd also. So um, right. So, in, many, in, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So here, here's what I here's what I want to say. I know what the Bible says about drinking. It does not tell you that you cannot drink, mm-hmm. but it also says that not to be a stumbling block. Right. So how so how many how many Christians have have took that and started off in moderation, and are now alcoholics, and how many Christians that have done that have caused many and many to stumble and fall? And here's my point. In, I'll, I'll be quiet. And you said that you didn't drink. I think that's what you said, right? Mm-hmm. And you and you encouraged leaders not to drink. Mm-hmm. I think you said that too. Now, what troubled me about the whole thing is that you didn't encourage all believers not to drink. And that's where I that's where I really had a problem with it. Even though we can do it, you know, what's the profit in doing something if we can hurt ourselves or hurt another believer and cause them to stumble? Yep. That's my question. Great. Well, th- thank you for asking. Uh, so, number number one, uh, I I do encourage all believers to not drink alcohol in public for the sake of other believers who might stumble, but in particular, call on Christian leaders to do it. But again, I, I'm not God, and I can't go beyond Scripture, and Scripture does not require that of of everyone. So we we just have to accept that. Scripture, the Bible, does not require that of everyone. So it's been lifestyle practice for me for 50-plus years. I encourage everyone to live by it, and in particular call on leaders to, uh, as, as far as public drinking. And, and in private, it's, it's, it's a, a non-starter for me as well. Um, but I can't go beyond the Bible. So uh, as much as I would like to tell everyone don't drink, I, I, 
I can't command it. Say the Bible commands it. We should all do it. Um, as far as the other brothers, I think you may have missed the barbecue part. When they do something for others in their church community, they have no liquor. Zero. Because they don't want anyone to come and potentially stumble. However, if it's just a few of the leaders who they know each other, they know their own lives, drinking's never been an issue with them, and they, they, they come together as leaders, it's a non-issue for them, so they've, they can have a drink, um, and it's not a problem. But they do not serve alcohol when they open up to a, to a larger group of people for, that, for those very reasons. As to how many have started moderation and fallen, many. As to how many have started moderation and stayed there but caused others to stumble, many. On the other hand, many are raised in a certain legalistic environment, and when they get out of it because they, they've never learned moderation, they fall into sin. And in some cultures where moderation is practiced through the entire life, there's, there's less drunkenness. In any case, uh, we're not far apart. It's my own lifestyle. If you came as a student when our school was, was a physical school as opposed to online, it was one of the requirements we had from the day you were accepted to the day you graduate, uh, no, no alcohol. But we, we understood we couldn't impose that beyond that. Hey, thank you, Alan. And, and may you live by your convictions and be an example. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Tori in Houston. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes, thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. You're welcome. I, I asked this question a little facetiously, but is there a place at God's table for working mothers? And I ask that because... I, through circumstances that my husband and I could not control, I had to go back to work to help pay for some medical bills for my husband. And I work as a nurse. I work three days a week. And since I've started working, I found that when I listen to podcasts or preaching or whatever about marriage or about women's roles, I find that there's not a lot of grace or understanding, <clears throat> excuse me, and I have a question about Titus 2.5. I have heard, uh, when you read it in a lot of English commentaries, it says, uh, be keepers of the home, women should be homemakers, but could you elaborate on that Greek word, I cannot pronounce it, it starts with an O, oikorigos. Okay. Um, I have also heard that that word is not found in the New Testament anywhere else, but in Greek literature around the same time, it means a gatekeeper or something of that sort. Could you elaborate on that? Right, right. Okay. Um, first thing is, we must put everything in cultural context, correct? There are some things that are eternal principles that are true for all cultures at all time. Murder is always wrong. Adultery is always wrong, right? But there may be other things, like when the Bible in Deuteronomy 22 says a man shouldn't wear women's garments and vice versa, that different cultures may have different things that men wear and different things that women wear, right? So, so in any case, the older women are encouraged to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, verse 5, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be Reviled. So notice that, that last part, that the Word of God may not be reviled. So in the culture in which Paul was writing, if women were not functioning like this in the normal categories that would be expected, it would bring reproach to the gospel, okay? So 
it's it's not that women can only uh, work at home and and gate whoever tried to use the gatekeeper argument that's really um, uh, is so so oikorgos um, the the oikos is the house part and. I've never studied the word, but I don't see it meaning anything other than being busy at home. That's why it's commonly translated like that. In fact, if, if you want to study something for yourself, right, and, and you don't know uh, Greek or anything like that, you know, or the Hebrew, so go to netbible, netbible.org, right? Netbible.org. And then when you're there, uh, you just click on the, the passage you want to study. And... Um, when, when you get there, you'll see it has over 60,000 translation and explanation notes. So if there's a controversy about the meaning of a word in Greek or Hebrew, it'll give you detailed information. Some of it, you know, that's very academic as well. But even the NET simply translates with um, self-controlled pure fulfilling their duties at home and doesn't even have a note on it. In other words, there's no controversy about the word. So somebody's trying to change the meaning of the Greek word to make it more applicable to today's society. <laughs> All we have to say was that their general statements, younger women, there, there, there was no other normal role for younger women. They, they were married with children. So you're, if, if you're married, you have children, you're submissive to your husband. So the word of God is not reviled. So that Christian women are not considered to be crazy and independent and rebellious. In our culture, there are many working mothers. There, there are many... Jesus-loving working mothers who are out of the home, the key thing is that the primary understanding is that it's a mother and father couple raising a home that the, the father ultimately has a certain responsibility as the head of the home, that yeah. he's the primary breadwinner is the norm, the mother is, is, is responsible with kids. Now, there may be other needs on top of that. We, we understand that. And depending on how old the kids are, how much work can be done, etc., but there's nothing fundamentally sinful and wrong in our society about a, a woman working outside the home, especially in our day. It would be one thing if she's neglecting her children and in rebellion to her husband. And, yeah. and so that's the whole thing. There's no need to reinterpret the Greek there. It's simply a, more of a cultural issue uh, that was going on. That Look, you could go back to earlier times in American history when it would have been a cultural issue, you know? Yeah. Um, things have changed in a certain level. So that's the big thing. Let your conduct be one that is godly and honoring the Lord. And then look at the woman that's praised in Proverbs 31. She's doing business. She's doing all kinds of things. So she's an, a strong woman with a career in that sense, but first and foremost, a, a wife and a mother. And if those are the right priorities, then God bless you as, as, as you meet these other needs and work hard and be honoring to the Lord in the midst of it. All right? Thank you very much. You are very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, let us go to Isaiah in Gainesville, Florida. You're on the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have a question. So in the Old Testament, besides Psalm 22, Psalm 16, and Isaiah 53, what passages suggest that Christ is supposed to rise from the dead? Uh, hey Isaiah, when's the last when's the last time last time you called? Uh, a week ago. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, our call screeners, make sure you check the list there. So it's the identical question to a week ago, which I answered. So 
make sure you go to realmessiah.com, realmessiah.com. All the questions are answered there, all right? But again, there are so many passages in the Hebrew Bible that do point to the Messiah's suffering. Uh, we, and, and we've pointed them out before. We point out his rejection in Isaiah 49, his being beaten in Isaiah the 50th chapter. Uh, we point to him coming meek and lowly in the ninth chapter of, of Zechariah, then being uh, the one that's pierced in Zechariah the 12th chapter. And so many other things we alluded to. But I already answered the identical question. So Isaiah, either you're not really looking for truth, or you're not following up. So make sure you check all this, realmessiah.com. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us. Don't forget to visit, visit vitaminmission.com. Vitaminmission.com. So much great, healthy stuff for you there. Supplements that will really enhance your life. So check it out. Make sure you use the special Dr. Brown discount while you are there. All right, let's go over to Michael in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Thanks. Uh, Dr. Brown, uh, what's a Christian man supposed to do if something happens like the Will Smith slap? If a, if a man insults my wife or girlfriend, it, what's a Christian man to do? He's suddenly on the spot, you know, like, you know, uh, what are we to do? Do we take it? Do we, do we, do we say, I'm going to pray for your brother? And, and disappoint our wife or girlfriend, uh, what do we do? Yeah, so thanks for the question. First, we don't assault somebody. We don't, we don't break the law. We don't break God's law. We don't assault somebody for a verbal insult. That, that's the first thing. Second thing, in that setting, you're, you're expecting anything. Comedians and any, you know, who knows who's going to say what about anybody. So you're in that mm -hmm. setting, and you, you, you may just get ribbed, you know, or your wife maybe, and you just take it. The, the, the two responses that I would think of would be, one, to note my displeasure, right? So in other words, mm -hmm. to, to make clear, I don't like it just in a serious way to shake my head like, nah, that's, that's low, that's not good. Uh, the other thing, out of a desire to cover my wife, I might look at her like, hey, do we walk out? You know, and if she nodded, then we'd walk out. So mm -hmm. I, I would want the general public to know, I don't like that. that. That to me is a low blow. That's going too far. And then most importantly, I would want my wife to feel covered. Now, if my wife said, you need to go punch that guy in the face, I'd say, hey, hon, what you did was wrong. And I'm going to address it, but I'm going to address it righteously. Adding my sin to somebody else's sin is, is not going to help. Uh, right, right. Now, of course, there's the bigger history and, you know, the, quote, open relationship. And did she talk about her affairs, you know, right on the podcast with him and emasculate him? And now he had to, you know, prove himself. I mean, who, who in the world knows the rest of that? And he laughs at yeah. first. See, she's not laughing. Then the reaction, was it yeah, calculated? He he yeah, he laughed. Was it calculated uh, or was it just he lost his temper, spur of the moment? 
you know, when you do think about it, this is pretty extreme, you know what I'm saying? To, yeah, this and, is and real quick, Dr. Brown, yeah. real, quick, Dr., real quick, Dr. Brown, uh, I follow John Snyder. You, you know who he, Bo Duke, and the Dukes of Hazzard? I was, okay. I was disappointed. I, I was disappointed because I don't know if he's a Christian, but I know he's a conservative man. Okay. And I was disappointed that he made a video on Facebook saying that he approved what Will Smith did. And, and, and he got a lot of backlash from fans. You know, so I'm, I'm very disappointed that he says that was okay. You know, I didn't expect that from John Snyder to approve that. Yeah, you know, I, so. and yeah, I don't, I don't know John Snyder's background at all. Uh, but look, some people say you got to stand up for your wife. You got to take a stand. Uh, now, allegedly, Chris Rock didn't know about her medical condition. Allegedly, a week earlier, she had said, "I don't care what anybody says about my bald head." So, I mean, who in the, who in the world even knows what's going on in this world of celebrities and, and so on? But some say you got to take a stand, protect your wife. I am all for protecting our wives. I am all for covering their honor. I, I, I will lose a lot to cover my wife, always. But there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And to assault somebody is, is the wrong way. So some people, because men are not protective of their wives and standing properly, it's like, yeah, cheer them on. So not, not for doing that. Not for doing that. Hey, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Sid in Bastrop, Texas. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes, thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I have so much of a question. I wanted to get your as a, as a professor of a, and, and scholar of ancient Semitic languages and Near Eastern Semitic languages. What is your take on the discovery of the Mount Ebal uh, cursed tablet? I think it's, I don't know if it's a tablet, but they found uh, this... Uh, Scott Stripling, uh, associates of biblical research, found this uh, this find, and it had God's name on there, but it said cursed, cursed, cursed of Yahweh, and it was a chiastic structure of the way it was sentenced. And it, it, it talks about the dating of the language and the dating of the Israelites in the land of Canaan. Right. I, I don't know... What, what, what is your take on that? So here's the deal. Uh, I, I was not aware of this discovery somehow. I, I missed the news about it. So, I'm, I'm react, so I, I apologize for, for missing the news. Um, as I'm looking at, oh, let's see, a report on Christian Post about five days ago, um, biblical researchers say they have decoded an ancient Hebrew inscription known as a curse tablet, that predates by centuries any known Hebrew inscription from ancient Israel. The inscription is found on Mount Ebal, the mountain of the curse. Curse, 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 cursed by the God of Yahweh. You will die cursed, cursed, you will surely die cursed by Yahweh, cursed, cursed, cursed. Reads the earliest proto-alphabetic Hebrew text recovered on a small folded lead tablet. Uh, Associates of Biblical Research announced at a press conference on Thursday, so I guess from last week. I believe the amulet dates to the late Bronze Age, uh, late Bronze II Age, or as early as 1400 BC. So, if if the dating is correct and the reading is correct, this is a shocker to critical scholars of the Bible. The there is a debate among biblical scholars as to the time of the Exodus, right? So. Was was it the mid 1400s BC? Uh, others would argue that you can't find any conquest of Canaan 50, 40, 50 years later. 
You've got to date it like 150 plus years later, and then you can argue for some kind of conquest of Canaan. But this would say that the early date uh, could be accurate because you have a reference to, to, the, to the name Yahweh. You have a reference to the cursing. You have a place where the, the curses would have been spoken. Uh, and you, you have Hebrew dating back that far, which biblically would tell us it does. So the issue has been lack of attestation. The further back you go, the, the less stuff you find because it's deteriorated. It's been buried over the years, things like that. Depends on what they wrote on, how long it would last. So I've got to dig into this more. But if the report is accurate, it'll be challenged. People will, will challenge the dating, the, the, the uh, paleography, the style of writing. But if, in fact, it's accurate, that's, that's very major. That would say that the early Exodus dating uh, could well be the, the reliable one. And that's based on Solomon's dedication of the temple around 966 B.C. and saying that was 480 years from the Exodus, which would push it back to 1446. So I've got to dig into it more, but very, very fascinating and would be one of the more major discoveries in modern archaeological history and, and very much back up the biblical account in, in the most literal plain sense. And what about the, lang- the, 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 the language itself, the letters itself, and you being a scholar of the, the, the language itself? Right, so... Uh, right, I'm, I'm not an epigrapher, meaning someone who studies the scripts in detail and then dates things based on scripts. But what they're showing here would be very, very early script. In other words, it, it would date back that far. I can't give you the, the precise date, you know, decade or century. But the form of the letters that I'm seeing here would be a very, very early form of the letters. And, and would, you know, for example, the Gezer inscription would be several centuries later, and the letters developed a little bit further, um, you know, into the more normal alphabet that we're used to. So this would show an even earlier transition from pictograph to alphabet. So very, very even. Yeah, I'm looking at the um, Jerusalem Post, cursed text on ancient amulet could change ways scholars read Bible. So again, we're, we'll have to look at the other reaction from others, but this is it's very profound. Yeah, uh, very, very interesting. So we'll, we'll see what the dates actually um, flesh out when it's looked into more, but very interesting. So that's all I can say at this point. I appreciate the call. Well, thank you, Dr. Brown. I appreciate your uh, comment. All right, good. Thank you. 866-34-TRUTH. Okay. Do I have to, all right. I'm not going to have time to answer a question now. So as soon as we come back on the other side of the break, where are we going? Joseph, Joseph, Michael, Melinda. There we go. JJMM. We'll see who's coming next. So we'll get your calls on the other side of the break. And one more reminder. Let's really look for this April 14th as a day of evangelism of a day of open doors, as a day of getting our message out to the world, not ashamed of Jesus.org. If you say, that's how I live every day, awesome, wonderful, then make this yet another day. And and whatever you do, let let us know. Uh, Post on social media, hey, here's what I wore to proclaim not ashamed of Jesus, or here's the Bible I brought with me to school or to work and put on my desk, or here's a conversation I started. Post it. 
share it, let us know. And for folks who say, what, what is this? When? April 14th, National Not Ashamed of Jesus Day. You say, why that day? Go to notashamedofjesus.org. Notashamedofjesus.org. That's the place to go. When you're there, you'll find all the information, all the inspiration. Pastors, leaders, there's a special packet with information for you there as well. Notashamedofjesus.org. We come back. I'm going straight to your calls. That's what we do here on Fridays on the Line of Fire. Stay right here. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Here's the number to call. If you're following through on yesterday's broadcast about the legality or lack thereof of the Biden vaccine mandate, if you have a general Bible-related question or social commentary question you want to ask me, or if you'd like to comment on the question of, are there documented miracles happening today? Are there documented miracles happening today in Jesus' name in answer to prayer? Here's another call, 866-34-TRUTH. 866-348-7884. Okay, before I talk about miracles, before I give you an interesting personal health herbal supplement update, there are hearings taking place in Congress where Secretary of State Blinken is kind of breakdown and is not functioning properly, getting us back on. Chill for a minute here and see what's going on. All right, so we're on the air, but I can't take callers. I can. I can take callers. We're on the air. We're back. We're good. Is that the case? All right, let's, let's try this again. Joseph, are you still there? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, don't know what happened. We got cut off from our feed, but we are back. So apologize for the confusion, everybody. Here we are. Go ahead. We are live. Thank you, Joseph. Okay, cool. Um, so my question was, Dr. Brown, do you know any of good, any good scholarship or archaeology regarding music in ancient Israel, like how it would have sounded? I've heard some stuff for like a Kinor and stuff like that, but actually what that would have looked like, what kind of musical scale they would have used and everything else? Yeah, there's, uh, I've never studied this in, in, any, um, in, in any depth at all, but um, there is a book that came out, let's see, I'm just looking at this here. A couple of things. You know, I noted them over the, over the years. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to look at the one. You know, there are a few books about music in ancient Israel, even by that name. Uh, there's one by Joachim Brown, B-R-A-U-N, Music in Ancient Israel, Palestine, Archaeological Written Comparative Sources. So last name, Brown, B 
R-A-U-N, Music in Ancient Israel slash Palestine. Um, there's a book, that was 2002. There are only a few I've seen over the years. There's a book in 2013, Music in Biblical Life, The Role of Songs in Ancient Israel. I, I don't know that that'll get into uh, the, some of the specifics there because we, we, we don't have a lot of evidence. Even the opening titles in some of the Psalms, there's debate about what they mean exactly. I don't just mean the Psalm of David, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, what does that actually mean? Or does it, does it mean sing it to the tune of this? Like sing this Psalm using such and such a tune, but we just don't know what the tune is. There's a book, Alfred Sendry, S-E-N-D-R-E-Y, Music in Ancient Israel. But um, there's no book that, that I was aware of that was like, this is, this is the book that really gives you all the information and breaks it down because we, we're, it's just limited in terms of what we know. But you mentioned different scales. Like you go to India and there's different musical scale that's used there than we use in the West. And different parts of the Arab world, it's the same thing. So I would just encourage you, uh, check on Amazon, Music and Ancient Israel. You'll see, you'll see a few of those titles. I'm not aware of anything that's been considered the definitive study by other scholars or that can really accurately reconstruct what kind of scales were used and things like that. You know, the musical instruments, like you said, we know a bit more about those, you know, and what they actually are, and like, you know, tolf which we often ta- translate tambourine, that was percussive, you know, and have the tof sound, onomatopoeic uh, name for it. Beyond that, I don't, I don't know of anything authoritative. I'm sorry, but that, that's the other thing. The other thing is to look at the major biblical encyclopedias. There are quite a few of those, and also look up music there. They may have a few more references, but beyond these few books, I'm not really aware. Okay, and do you think there's possibly any similarity with, like, Sephardic or Ashkenazi? music like in the orthodox circles or that would be completely modern do you think well well certainly when you look at ashkenazi a, a lot of this would have been you know european and things like that and stuff that we think of as like jewish music today would have been kind of folk music in eastern europe a few hundred years ago so definitely not going back to to biblical i would have to look at at more middle eastern related traditions and, and maybe among some groups of Jews that have had a presence in the Middle East steadily through the centuries. You know, it's some Sephardic cases that could go back a little further, but maybe some Yemenite traditions and things like that, they would have some that could reflect potentially more, more biblical sounds from the ancient world. So I would look in that direction. The more, you know, some of the Hebrew chants and things we're used to in the synagogue Many of those would be in more recent centuries and, and not dated all the way back to Old Testament times. Okay. Well, all thank right. you very much. You are, you are very welcome. Yeah, if there's more info, I don't know about it, for sure. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Joseph in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, so I had a quick question about... Thank you, sir. I had a quick question about um, what the temple worship was like in the early church and in, in the in terms of how Jesus kind of walked up and started reading scrolls or teaching. Was he interrupting a service that was already there? Did they set a time like aside for him to do his teaching or how did that look like? Right. So we have to distinguish between temple and synagogue. Okay. 
Uh, he could not right. do that in the temple. There was there was no a scroll there for him to take out and just have a setting where he could just you know read to everyone, and and that was the norm. The temple was was the priestly precinct. That was the place of sacrifices and offerings. So there could be communal prayers prayed there, communal songs that were sung. The priests and Levites could could have various functions of saying prayers and singing psalms and things like that. Uh, but in, in the temple proper, and the, the closer that you got in to to the to the the holy place, etc., and the place where people could bring their sacrifices, that that was that was not a place where you could get up and do what he did. The synagogues were a Pharisaic innovation, and those began a century or so before the time of Jesus. Some could go back a little earlier, and. It was an innovation where you could have gatherings in smaller locations where you could have a time along with with standard prayers being prayed where there could be teaching or exhortation. And it was becoming more and more fixed in structure. But what what we can pretty well surmise is by the time of Jesus, you, you would have had set prayers that were prayed. You would have had recitation, a leader saying certain things, people responding in certain ways. You would have had reading, a set reading from the five books of Moses in the land of Israel. They would go through the five books once every three years in Babylon, once in a year. And the, the custom from Babylon prevailed in the synagogues to this day that you go through the Torah once a year. But it seems, based on Luke 4 and other evidence we have, that the reading from the prophets in other parts of the Old Testament was not fixed. And therefore, Yeshua could get up and open the scroll to a certain portion and just read from it. And if you were recognized as a teacher, you know, you have Paul traveling and they recognize, oh, you're a teacher, get up. Do you have something to share? Get up. So there was more flexibility. Things were not as fixed as they became in the centuries following. In the centuries following, you not only had the fixed reading of the Torah, but the fixed reading from one of the other books of the Bible that supplemented it, called the Haftarah, that, that supplemented what was being read from the Torah. So that was the context and setting. A little more flexibility at that time. Uh, the later you go, less and less so, and you, you'd have a regular person that would be expected to bring bring a message, uh, an exhortation or something like that, based on, on the readings that were done in the synagogue each Sabbath. Yeah, I guess that's something that I hadn't really thought about, was that he'd already established a sense of authority in his teaching enough that he could just stroll in and start reading like that. Yeah, but but remember, it was in his home. It was in his hometown, also. So right, so right. so that's a factor. It, it would seem that if by the person's dress or stature or reputation they went to a synagogue in the first century, they might be asked to to speak or share. You know, you know what it's like. Look, look at it like this: Have you ever been in a church service where a, a, a friend of the church, a, another leader? A well-known person shows up. It's like, brother, hey, get up and share. Give us a quick yeah. word. Yeah. Or So just think of it like that, but with a little more freedom, that that could have happened as well okay. in that setting. But as far as Jesus picking a passage to read from, that would not have happened centuries later. But at that point, it seems the Torah readings were fixed, but not yet the supplemental readings. Hey, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. 866 Three, four, truth. Let's go to Michael in Utah. Hey, Michael, you're on the line of fire. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Dr. Brown. I just had a quick question for you. 
Have you are you familiar with Judy Mikovits's book um, called Plague of Corruption? Plague of Corruption. No, I'm I'm not. Um, I'm just looking it up here. I'm not familiar with it. I, w- I wish I was familiar with everything, but I'm not. Yeah, so um, <laughs> any uh, any specific question? Well, she was on Christian radio um, a few weeks ago with um, um, Chuck Chris Meyer and um, basically said that the whole pandemic could, was a pandemic and could be shut down if the country used ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and she's got a great great credentials but her long story short in the book she says that her whole lab was confiscated and her research taken away by um Fauci and others um just without any constitutional you know she was put in jail and basically uh you got to read the story but uh yeah, so so here's 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 what I can say. Um, just just reviewing this because I followed similar similar things here. Uh, number one, it's a book I should have known about. It came out June of last year and has over seven thousand six hundred ratings on Amazon. And as I'm looking at the endorsements for it, it's got people like Michelle Malkin, you know, folks who are who are sharp thinkers and and, and things like that, uh, commenting on it. So let me say this. Whoa. That's a little loud there. Well, that's a little (laughs) soft there. All right, friends, we will be right back on the other side of the break. And, Michael, I'll respond to this book on the other side of the break. Thanks for standing with us. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire, I apologize if some of that music blasted you out there for a moment. I like Skillet Loud, but just we got to bounce it on the radio here. All right, so Michael in Utah, number one, again, my apologies for not being more familiar with a book that's gotten a lot of attention. That's number one. Number two, I do not believe that this was a pandemic. I would never use that word myself as if the government intentionally planned this or world governments planned it for whatever reason, killing millions of people and taking control with it in a planned way from the start. I don't believe that. Number three, I do not trust the way our government has handled things. I do not trust the accuracy of their recommendations. I do not trust decisions that have been made. I have no question that people have used this for their own purposes. So once it actually happened, people have tried to exploit it for their own purposes, be it taking greater control or making certain money or or adding new restrictions. Number four, I do not believe that if there was just ivermectin hydrochloroquine used widely from the start, that the thing would have been stopped in its tracks. Uh, the most recent large study claims that ivermectin does actually no good. I don't believe that either, uh, but I'm not a, a doctor or a scientist, and people who've been studying this day and night have much more to say on it than I do. And number five is I have no reason to doubt that the government did come against someone putting out different information. 
We've seen what's happened to YouTube channels being shut down. We've seen what's happened to people who've tried to raise a, another narrative and how they're demonized and marginalized or canceled. So nothing would surprise me in that regard. And the, the, the reason is, well, your misinformation is costing people lives. Now, I, I don't buy that. I think there's more going on in that regard. So I, I do believe it's a genuine pandemic. I don't believe it could have just been stopped with ivermectin and hydrochloroquine. I don't trust the government on this. I don't know whose information is, is accurate concerning vaccines, etc. cetera. Uh, and it would not surprise me if someone was terribly mistreated trying to get out other information. Beyond that, sir, uh, I'm not qualified to even offer an opinion. But thank you. Thank you for the call. Uh, you know, I, I, I probably heard about the book at some point, but haven't looked at it at all. All right, um, let's go over to Melinda in Georgia. Thanks for calling the line of fire. I'm calling concerning the previous caller that spoke to the situation about alcohol. Yes. I am an 80-year-old lady who heard a sermon, I guess, maybe 40 years ago or more. But to this day, I remember the pastor in a very calm, not shouting voice, read all a whole page of statistics on the number of homes that were broken up because of alcohol, uh, the number of children that were suffering from single-parent homes, the number of accidents caused, the number of uh, labor hours lost at work, pay loss, just the whole gamut of what alcohol can bring into a person's life. Um, and very calmly at the end of the sermon makes the statement, now, do you want to associate your life with something that does that much harm in the world? And one of the other points that he made is the number of spousal abuse, child abuse to alcohol. Like I said, the number of automobile accidents. It, it, he read off the whole gamut of what is the result of people having to deal with alcohol. Um, yeah, yeah, I, go ahead. I, I was just going to say to me that made, I do not have partake, uh, but then I also think of a statement I believe I read from Oswald Chambers, what God says about judging other people don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and in point of fact, in point of fact, you cannot make a case from the Bible that no Christians should drink alcohol. I haven't for over 50 years, and I encourage others to follow my example. And there's a, as you mentioned, Melinda, that you heard the message over 40 years ago, and you could still remember so many of the details, the specifics, and the, 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 the litany of, of uh, lists of damages that come. Of course, some would say, you know, that's drunkenness. I've never been drunk, always drink in moderation. I understand that. Others would say, it's all going in a certain direction. In, in any case, 
I appreciate the reminder. That's why when I did the show asking whether Christians should drink alcohol back on Tuesday, I linked a couple of articles by William Booth and Catherine Booth where they both said it's not compatible with Christianity. So we've got the strong messages out there. Ultimately, I'm beholden to what Scripture says. And, and yes, uh, there's a righteous judgment we're to make, and there's an unrighteous judgment that we have no business making. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Clint in Kansas City, or in Kansas. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, thank you, Dr. Brown. Hey, I have a question. Clint, are you there? Some... I guess not. All right, let's, uh, let's go to Robert in Central Coast, Canada, uh, California. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Uh, Robert, are you there? Yes, I have a... Can you hear me? All right. Are we having a... Now? Is that the latest thing that just happened? Uh, let's try Sean in Michigan. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. Uh, you're, yeah, go ahead. Don't know what happened to our other callers, but glad you're there. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, Dr. Brown, I want to call about, because uh, I heard you talking about all Israel shall be saved yesterday. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, I, 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 I'm not an expert on the Bible, but I just want to correct you that, you know, your definition of Israel is not the definition given by God. Uh, you know, because if you... Oh, uh, Sean, let me, let me, let me, hang on, let me correct you. My definition is exactly what God says in the Word. So there you go. You corrected okay. me. I corrected you. Okay, because the, the last time I called you, you did the same thing, you know, because as soon as I get on, I mean, well, you put me on mute, and you just went on ranting, telling me that... Uh, oh, Sean, I here, here's I the deal, sir. sir. Sean, Sean, I'm just, just hang on. Sean, hang on for a second. Hang on. When you call and you say what you said is incorrect, you misrepresented God, I'm going to just be just as blunt with you. If you say, hey, I want to I differ with you on this, can we talk about it? By all means. But if you're going to say something that silly, I'm going to respond in the same way, just to reveal to you that's the wrong way of doing things. Okay, and I don't, I don't, I don't okay, go on, don't and, wanna, and Sean, I don't go on rants, but if someone is continually, if someone is continually talking, all right, sir? Sean, all right, tell you what, tell you what, this is why I put you on mute. I'm going to give you another chance. Don't call up with silly lines like that and just say I'd like to differ with you on something and give me your reasons. If you're going to talk over me, it's bad for the listeners. So in fairness to them, I put you on mute. I don't go on rants, but I do differ freely and openly. So let's try one more time. What point would you like to make, sir? Okay. Can I talk now? What point would you like Hello? to make, sir? Go ahead. Okay. Is your definition is your definition of uh, Shiloh, which is 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 that what we have in Israel today? I don't follow you. As, according to Isaiah, Isaiah, I mean, sorry, Genesis forty nine, I believe, verse ten says there's going to be Shiloh eventually uh, in Israel. There's going to be heavenly peace. Is that what you see happening in Israel today? What's your point? Because you keep saying that all Israel shall be saved. And well, Zechariah, Paul said it. Uh, Paul said it. Zechariah 13.8 never said anything like that. It says two-thirds of the people in Israel shall be wiped out in the hands of the Antichrist. One-third. Where, where does it say, say, where does it say Antichrist? Sean, where does it say now? Antichrist? All right, so here, here's the problem, friends. And, and, and I don't like to do this, but I have to do it sometimes when people refuse to listen. 
It doesn't. Where does it say Antichrist in Zechariah 13? It doesn't. And see, the problem is, and I just use this as a teachable moment. The problem is when when you're trying to help someone understand, and they refuse to listen, they'll never get it right. How many times when I say all Israel shall be saved, do I say we do not know how many people will be alive at the end of the earth? We don't know what type of shape, shaking and upheaval will come to the world, right? Or what the number of the people of Israel will be. But that final generation there, when the Lord returns, there will be a national turning, as the Scripture explicitly says. And if you're not sure who Paul means by all Israel in Romans 11, 26, Look at the previous verse. The Israel that is hardened will not be hardened then. Look at 27 and 28 and 29, when it tells you exactly who he's speaking about. So, Sean, I could really help you. I could really be a blessing in your life if you opened your ear to call as opposed called to lecture and correct and misuse the Bible in the process. So maybe the next time around, I won't have to put you on mute, all right, because you'll call with a different attitude. And then we may end up with a difference. That's fine, but it'll be with a civil discussion. Hey, this is what you get with Live Talk Radio. God bless. Another program powered by the Truth Network.